basically I do what I want. I say how I feel. I have no pretenses. I have no pretext, especially when I was younger. If I thought something, I would say it, I would do it. I wouldn't care what anybody else had to say. And that isn't necessarily good for cohabitating. ADHD Rewired episode 147. This is the show designed for those of us with really good intentions, but a slightly wandering attention. My name is Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, coach, and speaker. The website is ADHDrewired.com. We know that starting is the hardest part, so let's get started. But first, let me tell you about this. It's time. Registration for the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group starts now. Go to coachingrewired.com and schedule your call with me before we fill up. I uh, was feeling very overwhelmed with everything that I had to do, with getting organized, not being able to get things done. And I gained a lot of tools and strategies to help me with that. I feel like for the first time I have confidence that I will do that. I also feel like I have a group of people who I can count on to help hold me accountable. The great thing is that you helped us sort of dream big and plan big and do our mind mapping and look at the next few years or year and what's important, what are our priorities. And then having the accountability partners build the habits of breaking things down into actual manageable to-do lists and then following up with that. It wouldn't just be one big thing, oh, make a website. It would be one tiny little thing. Oh, do this one little action step. Do this one little action step. And tiny action step by tiny action step. I've accomplished so many more things in this group than I thought that I would. So that was a huge benefit to me. When you hear someone else talking about their issues or their, where they're stuck or what's challenging them, it's so helpful to hear someone else who's not me saying that. It's like it gives me brand new insight and it helps me move forward. I hear that and learn. And it's not just head learning, it's heart learning, it's gut learning. One of the big takeaways from the group is realizing I'm not alone. Whether other examples match up perfectly to what I'm going through, I certainly see the similarities of just the need to have a different focal point, um, have a different you know way to, to find support. So I think that this group is great for productivity and it is so much more than that. I have a tendency to think that things are gonna transform my life and fix everything, even though I intellectually know that that's not gonna happen. And so this group did not fix everything, but it completely transformed me in ways that I did not expect and I'm incredibly grateful for. Now is the time. Go to coachingrewired.com to schedule your registration call with me. Registration is open. We have three groups that you could sign up for, so it should work with most schedules. Go to coachingrewired.com, give yourself the gift of coaching, and get ready to have the most productive year yet. That's coachingrewired.com. Join me for the last live productivity Q&A of the year, Wednesday, December 21st at 10.30 a.m. Central. Since 2017 is just around the corner, we want to answer your questions around goal setting and yearly planning to help you have a great 2017. Registration for this and all upcoming events are at erictivers.com slash events. That's erictivers.com slash events. 
just a quick heads up to uh, parents who might be listening to this around their kids or our more sensitive listeners. There is a couple colorful choice words in this interview, and uh, I left them in. So I just want to give you a heads up about that. Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. Today's guest is Leah Russell. Leah is a photographer, entrepreneur, mother, and animal lover living in Calgary, Alberta. She says she has an insatiable attraction to shiny things. She changes her mind frequently, gets distracted, loves making people smile, and has a love for learning. And being that she loves things different all the time, she has a great job because it's constantly changing and suits her personality to a T. Leah was a part of the fall 2016 coaching group and now is uh, joining us today. So Leah, hello. Hello, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited to have you on today. So you have a pretty interesting story. Uh, your background. So you are, you're 32 years old, right? That's correct. Yeah. When you were 29, you were diagnosed with, with yep. ADHD and dyslexia. And that was really very, very late in my life, considering that was only three years ago. And I've struggled with both of these things since I was a little kid. So I have to imagine that that impacted your your perception of yourself uh you know growing up i mean that's and even to your adult your adult life yeah that's 100 percent true so growing up with adhd as i'm sure most of you know we have all kinds of um issues fitting in with other people and issues academically being able to complete our work and stay on track and stay quiet and sit nicely and behave and i always struggled with those things and being just dys being dyslexic i struggled a lot with reading and writing and even when i was in grade eight they tested me uh to see basically where I was sitting and I was spelling at a grade three level and it didn't matter how hard I tried and how many summer schools I went to and how many times my mom would sit with me and try and force me to memorize words. I just couldn't remember them. And so growing up, I always felt like there was something wrong with me and it didn't matter how hard I tried, I couldn't fix it. So that really led to a lot of issues with self-worth. And I think having my diagnosis of ADHD and dyslexia later in life has really helped me overcome that because even though I struggle with those things, those don't define my worth. And it's not because I don't try and it's not because I don't care. It's just because of the way my brain works. You know, and I, I think one of the, the things that, that I'm been struck by as I've gotten to know you is um, you really do have a very infectious, contagious smile. And so I was asking you about that. I was asking you, have you always kind of been a really just sort of happy person? And then you, you shared a story with me from, uh, from when you were, I think you said around 17. Will, will you share That's that? That's right. Yeah. So um, I went through kind of a really hard period around then. I got kicked out of my home. I dropped out of high school. I was working full time and I ended up working at a smoothie shop, which is kind of funny. But every single day, this same old man would come in and I'd ask him, hey, how's your day? And every day for months, he would come in and say, this is the best day of my life. 
this is the best day of my life. And this kind of really got to me. And eventually I was like, how is it that every single day is the best day of your life? It's minus 30 outside. It's pissing down rain. It's, it's horrible. Why, why is this the best day of your life every day? And he looks me straight in the eyes and he says, because I decided that it would be, I wake up every day and I choose that today will be the best day of my life. And at first I was just saying it to myself, but now I believe it. How long do you think that took you to, to go from, from the, the behavior to the belief? Oh, um, probably maybe even like five years, but that always, always stuck with me the way that he said it. And you could see, you could see it on him. You could see the light in his eyes and you could see that he really felt that way. And he had the ability to choose his attitude, despite what was going on around him. He could reframe himself to be a happy person and to be living a good life. And that was a choice he made every day. And it's a choice I could make. And I think too, and it's not to say that you, you know, happiness is a choice. Cause I think there, there's a certain degree of truth mm-hmm. to it, but there's also, you know, uh, our, our neurochemistry, but also we know that our thoughts do influence our neurochemistry. Um, there was last year, uh, there was a, um, I, uh, one of these experiences that I had of, Yes, this whole, you know, CBT thing that I teach others, it actually does really work. Where So I was in, um, I was coming into my office. I was sort of in going through that seasonal, like, depression, you know, the, the, the seasonal affective disorder. It wasn't a funk. And I was, you know, my office has no windows. And, and that can get to you. You know, it's, I've been in the same office now for, I think, five or six years. And I was I was showing up at my office. I was like, oh, I'm going to my windowless cave again. And yes. I made this and I, you know, and I was really just in this, this funk about it. And I was starting to think about moving offices. I was like, oh, well, you know, it's such a pain. And I remember really vividly I, I'm coming into my office. I put the key in and I made this conscious decision to focus on how grateful I am that I live three minutes from work and how amazing that is. And it felt like the, the, um, angst that I had about my windowless office, it like melted away and was replaced by gratitude. So it's so much of how we feel is where do, where are we putting our attention? What are we choosing to, to focus on? And, you know, I do think when you're learning strategies like that, at first it feels real weird, you know, cause you're like this, this foreign voice starts to enter your mind and you're like, <laughs> what is this thought? Like I was talking to a client earlier today who like, cause it's, you know, really cold here. And he told me like, it's even colder where you are. Um, (laughs) And I was telling him today, you know, one of the strategies I use is like, I'll tell myself, I like the cold. I like the cold. This feels good. This feels good. Which is, could it be further from the truth? But I I try (laughs) to tell myself that. And you know, I think it helps a little. Oh, for sure. There's something to be said for the neuroplasticity of our minds and for repetitive thoughts. So for sure, I do have to ask you because there was, as you were telling me about uh, your the that story when you were seventeen years old, there was a little detail you just sort of threw in there that I don't think I actually knew <laughs> that you were kicked out of your home. Uh, yeah, I was. I was a, uh, as I alluded earlier, I was sort of a bad teenager. I was kind of a bad child. I threw temper tantrums, basically. Maybe I still throw temper tantrums. I, I'm learning um, more. Like I hit record and I'm learning all these new things about you now. 
<laughs> oh no. <laughs> but uh, uh, basically I, I do what I want. I say how I feel. I have no pretenses. I have no pretext. If I, especially when I was younger, if I thought something, I would say it, I would do it. I wouldn't care what anybody else had to say. And that isn't necessarily good for cohabitating. Shall we say? Um, can make things uh, stressful at uh, times. Yeah, make things a little more stressful at times. Yeah, I always love that my sister, she's very quiet. She's the opposite of me. She could get away with a million things I could never get away with because she would just go and do them. Whereas I would be like, I'm doing this and I'm going to do it right in front of your face because I can and you can't stop me. <laughs> um, so, so, so you have what we call OTM OTM. What's that? <laughs> On the mind, out the mouth. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. So, you, 100%. so your parents actually kicked you out? Yeah, they gave me an ultimatum, actually. And um, it was September of grade 12. Basically, I had snuck my boyfriend into the house like 1 a.m. And uh, the reason is I got in a fight with my mom. I got in actually a huge argument with her. And uh, like we normally, we got into many arguments when I was younger and he came over and I was actually, he was in my room and I was very animated as I tend to be. And I was crying and I was yelling, I'm sure. And my mother could hear me from upstairs and she came down and she found him. And of course, you know, he wasn't allowed to be there. And so basically she gave me the ultimatum that I wasn't to see him anymore. Two or three of my other friends who she didn't like, who she thought was having a very negative impact on me, or I got out, leave. And of mm -hmm. course at 17 being, um, I almost think possibly I have a little bit of oppositional defiance disorder. Yeah. Um, yeah a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> having a little bit of that going on too. Of course I was like, you know what's for you. I don't need you. I can do this on my own. And I left. And how was that? Like how, how long were you on your own for then? Um, so that was September of grade 12. I moved back in with my parents about two, two and a half years later after I had my daughter. Um, so I had a baby at 18, actually. And then I moved in when she was about seven months old. Yeah. Moved back because the relationship that I was in actually was a very negative one. And I actually had to call my parents in the middle of the night to come rescue me from that. So I have a lot of these middle of the night escapes in my life. <laughs> um, but things are really good with my family now. And we've made up and everybody loves my daughter. She's like the best thing since sliced bread. So <laughs> what, what have you learned from that? And like if, if you if you were if, if there's another 17, 18 year old uh woman yeah. listening right now who's sort of like that just sounds like me and my mom and what would you tell her <laughs> um I would say maybe what you said earlier is to sort of reframe with gratitude it's so easy to get so stuck in our own minds and think you know like this is what I want and I want it now and nothing else matters but sometimes you have to step back and realize that your decisions will not just affect you, but affect other people. And that these snap decisions can have a really drastic impact on your life. So even if you can just take a step back, once you freak out, just stop and think about it and maybe suck it up and apologize if you need to, because that is not something I, I ever, ever would have done. And that's something only I've learned to do really in the past few years, because we're impulsive 
And when you're being impulsive and when you're emotional, you don't always make the right decision. But it seems to be that as soon as you've said it, then you feel like you need to own it. You don't need to own it. And you can let it go. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. No, I think that's so right on. I, th- I think especially for people who have more impulsivity, I think with the the in your relationships, I think it's so important to have this working understanding that you need to have the permission to be able to say, can I take that back? A hundred percent. You know, yeah, because 100%. Well, this whole notion of like, you said it when you're emotional, so it must be true. Like, no, that's actually not how it works. No. And sometimes we just say stupid shit. You know, like you have to just apologize for it. And that can be really, really hard to do, but it's easier to do than just leaving and uprooting your whole life and just throwing away everything you've worked for because, you know, you got in an argument. Like, Do you think that um, uh, going back that your uh, mom made the right decision? Um, I honestly believe that my mom is ADHD and that she's just as impulsive as I am and that she threw it out. You do this or you're gone and expected me to just be like, of course, I'll do whatever you want. Because I know that once I left, my sister told me and my dad told me that she stayed up nights for years just waiting for me to come home. And I never did. So I'm sure she regretted it, too. So you guys have your relationship, though, now has improved? Oh, it's very good. Yeah. Now, you said that you think that she is ADHD. Does she know that you think that she is ADHD? Uh. Yes, because I tell her. Because <laughs> the, the more that I learn about ADHD and the more books that I listen to and the more podcasts that I listen to, um, the more sort of symptoms or even just patterns of behavior become glaringly obvious. And my mom is extremely impulsive. She has zero filter, like verbally impulsive, like you wouldn't believe. Um, and uh, uh, there's a whole bunch of things that... But uh, which I can't think of for some reason right now, but it's actually good because ADHD is such a genetic disorder that knowing that it comes from my mom and knowing that we struggle with the same things. And that's probably why we have butted heads so much makes it easier, I think, now for us to have a positive relationship because I can relate to her and and I can relate to, you know, saying things or doing things that I don't mean, but that doesn't define who we are and it doesn't define our relationship. And so we're sort of on an even playing field. Hmm. Sounds like it's it's about understanding yourself and, and seeking understanding. A hundred percent. So what was it then? Um, so you were in your, you said 18 when you had um, your, your daughter? Yeah. Um, I can only imagine how hard that would be. I mean, when I, when I became a dad at 30, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm responsible for this, this life. Like I, I'm not ready for this. Or, you know, so I, I can't even imagine, you know, being 18 and, and having to be responsible for a life. Yeah. Well, I always say there's never a good time to have a baby. Maybe, maybe 18 is a worse time than 30, but I don't know if there's ever, if you're ever ready. Honestly, it's a, it's such a life-changing thing and really it turns your world upside down and people who haven't have kids probably don't understand because I wouldn't have understood. But as soon as you see your child, at least I know with me, um, your life no longer becomes about you. It becomes about them. Yeah. And, and it's hard to have that sort of a fundamental shift unless you have something crazy like a baby happen to you. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, it turns to say it turns things upside down and and changes perspective is uh, I mean that's an understatement. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, what were you doing? So, between you know, nineteen, twenty years old to twenty nine, when you ended up getting diagnosed. Um. So basically, when I was. 19, almost 20, I moved back in with my parents, with my daughter, and I started going to school. Um, I never graduated high school because I dropped out in grade 12. So I went to college and because I was out of school a couple of years, I could go back as a mature student, which meant I didn't need high school. So yeah. Is that a Canadian like, le like legal term? <laughs> is, is that a Canadian legal term, a mature student? It is. Okay. Yeah. So as long as you've been out of your parents' home or out of school for two years, you then become mature and you only need whatever prerequisites you need for your degree. You no longer need a GDP or high school equivalency or any of that. Okay. So a little, yeah. a little bit different uh, terminology in, uh, in, in the U.S. The GED, there it's GDP. Oh, maybe it's GED. So my first thought uh, was, the was, letters are hard. I first thought when he said it's, uh, uh, oh yeah, it's the letter thing. Maybe it is that. <laughs> when you're like, it's only, when you, uh, it's the maturity thing, I'm like, well, that's real subjective because I don't know if I would still qualify for no that. no <laughs> it doesn't mean that <laughs> it just means on your own for for two years so you're no longer like uh like a child i guess like living with your parents yeah, like so then yeah exactly you're not a dependent okay so you went back to school uh yeah i went back to school and i always kind of wanted to be a revolu revolutionary i was always involved in politics i've always been a bit of a a rebel and so i went back to do poli sci um, at school. And I quickly realized that political science and a degree in politics and being a politician isn't in any way about doing what you want or doing what you think is right. It's just about playing the game and who you know and, and what favors you can exchange for what favors. And, uh, and that doesn't suit my personality very well. Because, because I want what I want and I'm very, you yes. know, I say what I think and that, that is not, the game of politics. So actually I flipped my degree into religious studies and I have a degree in world religion. I always figured religion and politics are the two great motiva two great motivators for people and for societies and cultures. And so I spent five years studying world religion, specializing in Hinduism and Tibetan Buddhism, mm. which I actually, I just love. I love cultures. I love people. And I love how small small choices and small decisions um, when you're looking at these big structures like religion, how these little decisions about, you know, what's sacred or what's holy or how we should live our life actually form cultures and cities and civilizations and countries. And when you travel, you can see how these little, little shifts make huge impacts in the world around them. And I just think it's amazing. Now you, you're fairly well traveled, right? I am. Yeah. I love, I love to travel. Traveling is probably besides my daughter, my number one passion in life. Where, where have you been? Oh my God. Okay. So I'm addicted to Asia. We'll say that okay. I've been to Asia like five times this spring. I was in Myanmar, Taiwan, and Japan, but I've been to uh, Tibet and Nepal across Northern India. What, what about Asia? Do you think attracts you so much? I love how different it is. I think that's what I love. And what I was saying before about the little choices, you know, like in India choosing, um, 
choosing to not, I don't know, the religion that they have and the technology that they have have created a society that's just completely different than ours. But at the same time, that the, the structure of the society is different. The people, the more you travel, the more you realize the people are the same, mm. you know, like ultimately we all want the same things. We all want good things for our families. We all want to have a good job and find meaning in life. We all want to treat ourselves and others with respect. And we all have to go out there and greet the day every single day and make it work. And it doesn't matter what these structures are. It doesn't matter what choices you've made. We're all in the same struggle together and we're all the same. And that's amazing. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's, you, you said that the the um, technology is different. How, how so? Um, well, especially when you start getting into some of these smaller and more remote areas, they just don't have any of the technologies that we have. They don't have necessarily running water or power or... You know, like I, I live in Canada, it's extremely cold here. We have, you know, furnaces or air conditioning, depending on, you know, the time of year where you are. None of those things exist. So people have to find workaround solutions to all of those same issues, but they're doing them in a, like, in a much more lower technology way. I don't want to say futile, but it is almost like going back in time, like, especially when you're going to places like Tibet. It's just, it's incredible. It's like the clock has stopped almost and you can just go visit and it's so cool. And I have to imagine that when you experience something like that, um, the just, I think it, it helps really facilitate or foster um, a real sense of gratitude about what we have. You know, how, how many of us just today went and got some water and didn't like think about the amazingness of you know, whether it's you, you grab water from the tap and it's clean or from your refrigerated filtered water uh, in, in your refrigerator, right? Like, you don't have to or think about it. Or went to the it. bathroom and didn't like freeze your behind off. Like, you didn't, have to, you're right, you didn't have to leave the house to go to the bathroom. Yeah, no cold breeze there. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> no, so it's, it's, no, it's um, so the perspective of while well, we all kind of live in different ways are the human desires are very, very similar. Yeah. We all have the same challenges. It's just how we meet them. And like I said, in little choices and little things on high levels, little decisions on high levels impact. Like, I mean, it's, it just spider webs out and it's incredible. You don't realize all the little uh, intricacies of things. So you went, uh, so you, you got your, your uh, degree in, um, uh, is it world religion? Is that what you said? World, yeah, that's correct. In world yeah. religion. And um, then what? Um, well, then I decided it would be great to be a public relations marketer for large corporations. Obviously, that's because what I should clearly be doing. Connected. Yep, yep. <laughs> clearly connected. Clearly connected. Well, I figured I had to grow up and get a real job. And the only thing I liked really was people. So I figured if I went into PR marketing, you know, that's like a grown up job, but I would still get to be creative and I still get to talk to people and figure out, Oh, who are you? And what do you want? And why do you want it? And how can I get that to you better? Turns out, um, I'm not really well suited for the office, <laughs> office life and the traditional job. Surprise. And, and why is that? <laughs> um, I don't know. Like I'm, 
my entire life, I've always struggled with having to be at a certain place at a certain time and sit still and stay in one place. Like, I think just sitting still is like almost impossible for me. How you doing um, right now? You've been, you've been sitting still now for uh, about 25 minutes almost. Yeah, so you're, you're running on board time, Eric. No, <laughs> no I'm joking. <laughs> you're you starting opposition with me pretty soon. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. But if I, if I had to do it every single day, like I, I just get so bored. And being a photographer is great because I'm on my feet and I'm constantly moving around. And like I said, I'm like a magpie. I get to go to the shiny. But sitting in an office, going to the same office, being on the computer, like I'll just get distracted and my mind will wander and I won't be effective in my time. And then I'll start to hate what I'm doing because I'm putting out fires and I'll resent it. And anyway, that wasn't working for me. So I went back, I went back to school and I did a degree in fine art photography. So I think um, the reason that I was so drawn to photography and I went back to do a degree in that is because I grew up with dyslexia and growing up with dyslexia, despite the fact that when I tell this to people, they say, oh, you're very articulate. Well, for some reason I can be verbally very articulate trying to write is just a nightmare for me. I'm the same way. <laughs> so when I used images, um, I felt like the things that I was feeling and the thoughts that I wanted to communicate, I could communicate clearly. And it wasn't a struggle for me. It was, it was easy. And even if I wasn't there with the photos talking about them, people could look at them and they could hear my story and they could feel my story and, and relate to it. Whereas with words, like that was always such an uphill battle for me. So I decided to go back and do a degree in photography. Um, and this is also connected to my traveling is that I saw all these stories and I saw all these things and it put my world into perspective for me. And it gave me a huge shift in my mentality. And I could take these images and I can have other people relate to them and come away with their own questions, ask their own questions. And not have it be me priming them and not have it be my experience, but have it be this moment in time and somebody else relate to it and somebody else come to their own conclusions. So that was good for me. So I went back to school and did a degree in photography and everybody always said, oh, you know, you have a degree in religion and a degree in photography. These are probably the most useless degrees that you could possibly get. <laughs> like, in what way is this ever going to be good? Um, but it's funny because now I'm actually a wedding photographer and I go to mosque and I go to temple and I go to synagogue and I go to every flavor of every religion Brilliant. and non-religion. Brilliant. I love weekly. that. Oh, well, I get to tell, like, I mean, photography allows me to tell other people's stories and to relate to them. And I just think that it's such a gift, like, especially wedding and family photography. Like I get to go into people's, one of their most emotional days of their life you know if you, you can put whatever emotion you want on that because it's an emotional roller coaster from the beginning to the end but to be welcomed in and to be able to capture those quiet moments and the happy moments and the loud moments and see the vulnerability in people and in families and be able to make a physical lasting memory for them it's just i don't i just feel like it's such a gift I can just watching your face as you as you say that. Um, there's a lot of joy and emotion uh, in there. I see you almost I choked up about it. 
Hey, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I, I love what I do and I feel so strongly about everything I do. I don't know if that is also being impulsive or having no filter, or I don't know if I'm like super emotional. I'm very excitable. Well, we know that, but, uh, that emotional self-regulation is, is part of ADHD. Um, but it also sounds like, uh, you, you're, you really have learned in a lot of ways to channel it towards a really positive, uh, outlet. Yeah, that's definitely true. So I definitely think that you, uh, similar to myself, like in your work, you have to love what you do. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. A hundred percent, especially not for for us, <laughs> for me. I know that. <laughs> so you got your your uh, fine arts and photography degree. Um, how old were you when you finished that? I was actually... It was 27, 28. Okay, so then what so happened was, over the next few years that led you to the diagnosis? Well, this is exactly how I was led to the diagnosis because everything was great when I was in school, especially, well, my first degree and my second degree, I was doing what I loved. I was extremely interested. I was extremely engaged, especially my second degree was all studio classes. So I was kind of setting my own hours and I was working on my own projects and I was passionately involved in working constantly and it was amazing but it was my work and it was what was important to me and when I started my company after I graduated and I started doing other people's work um at first that was you know exciting but it's quite monotonous to go through and do editing especially wedding editing when you have about 5,000 images in a day that you then have to go through and call and you know color correct and pick the best ones and fully retouch them and export them in this way and that way and the other way. It can be tedious. And when I first started, it wasn't that bad because I wasn't that busy. But by year two or so, and I was working you know, 15, 20 weddings that year, I came to realize that sitting down and having 100,000 images to edit just starting was like impossible. But then once I was started staying focused and just staying in my chair and staying in the program I needed to be in and not just being everywhere the whole time was almost impossible. And I, and I started to feel like, like a failure, almost like my self-worth went down again. And I've had so many cycles of this in my life where no matter how hard I try, no matter how much I know something needs to be done and I need to just you know, focus and just pull up my bootstraps and do it. And there's no, you know, like, I mean, there's no reason you can't be doing this. You're at home, you're working from home. Like, what's your issue? Just sit down and do it. I wasn't able to do it. And, um, and you, and you and knew I, how badly you wanted to. Oh my God. I wanted to so bad. Like it was driving me crazy when I finally went to the doctor. Cause I had somebody say, Hey, do you think maybe you have ADHD? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> like, I listened to a couple of podcasts and I was like, Holy shit. I'm like, this is me. Like every single symptom, every single like bad decision or like challenge or like crazy circumstance I found myself in is like a marker of this. And I was so, when I figured it out, I was so emotional about it because I'd been struggling for so long with these things and to realize that, you know, maybe it's not just me and maybe it is the way my brain is wired and maybe it is my brain chemistry and maybe I can actually do something to help myself. Whereas I have never been able to do anything to help myself before. I go to my doctors to tell her, oh my God, I think I have ADHD and I just start like bawling. And she thinks I'm like manic depressive because I'm so emotionally reactive. 
So anyway, she sends me to a, a psychiatrist who spends about uh, three, four weeks doing all kinds of in-depth testing on me. And, and I'm not manic depressive. I, I am just ADHD. But, um, and I started being medicated and even just going to see him and starting to do some counseling around that. Like I've done counseling in my life before, but never ADHD specific. And once I started to understand myself, like that made everything so much easier. I, every aspect of my life so much easier. So what I want to do right now is uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back from the break, let's hear about some of the things that, uh, that you have done to, to actually make your life easier. And then we're going to invite you to sit into the hot seat. <laughs> awesome. We'll be, Look forward to it. <laughs> we'll be right back. I want you to meet Joan. Joan is going to share with you her experiences at the coaching group and why she decided to join the group twice. I was in a highly overwhelmed state. In that discovery of the first group, I discovered that I was learning to implement things because I was doing it three times a week and implement things I had already read about and heard about. And so that was fantastic. And so when I rejoined, I was trying to like catch up with that first group because they were just covering so many things. And what I learned is that it doesn't matter to catch up. What matters is to come with wherever you're at because you're gonna benefit and make progress and improvements no matter what. I just got so many more things out of the second group. It was just incredible. A fantastic accountability partner, just implementing more things that I needed to implement, like really healthy things, exercise three to five times a week, and even meditation. So that was huge, because I wanted to do that daily. Even the three times a week is perfect because you're coming back, you get another chance. You keep getting another chance. You're getting practice. You know, that's the best part about the whole thing. And then of course, all the wonderful people who, who understand me and they are successful people and they have the similar issues and you don't run into that in the everyday world, so. Whatever your goals are, join the coaching group that meets three times a week for 10 weeks and pairs you with an accountability partner. But don't wait. Registration will be over before you know it. It ends December 30th. We begin January 16th. Go to coachingrewired.com to schedule your call today. That's coachingrewired.com. Got a question you want to ask? Join us for a productivity Q&A. You can ask us questions by video or by text chat. We're going to be doing this on Tuesday, December 13th at 1230 p.m. And Wednesday, December 21st at 1030 a.m. These are all central times and will each be 90 minutes. Then starting in 2017, you can join us on the second Tuesday of every month at 12.30 p.m. We'll be doing a live Q&A. So all the live events and information about them where you can register is at erictivers.com slash events. That's erictivers.com slash events. All right. Welcome back. So Leah, first of all, thank you for sharing your, your story with us, uh, but we're not done. So um, uh, I should have asked you if you wanted to, to stand up and stretch. You, you didn't do that during the break. Um, do, do you still need to? No, I, I'm good. Thank you. Good? Okay. All right. Um, so 
Let's talk about what you've been doing since diagnosis that um, has really helped. What have you been doing to sort of make progress uh, in, in your life and, and, and uh, work through the issues and challenges that you've been having? Well, I think the number one thing, or maybe this is one and two, maybe this is a joint thing. And it could so, be three, maybe 4.5. You know, yeah, you never know. We'll, It'll, we'll start on nine. I don't know words. <laughs> <laughs> we'll mind map this. It'll be fine. Um, so basically, I think it all started with just uh, an understanding and education. So being able to understand myself and being able to realize that, you know, even though I'm having these struggles, that that's not me. It's not my self-worth. It's not where I should get my value from. It just happens to be the way my brain works and we can work around that. So being able to reframe things. Um, and there's a lot of little mantras that I always go with. Um, the one I got from you is things are hard, but I can do hard things. And I always say that I'm Dory as well, you know, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. You know, it doesn't matter what comes, just keep working on it just keep trying and just keep pecking away. And I think you said something really interesting earlier when you said that it is actually the doing of hard things that brings us happiness, but it's not just the sitting around wanting to be happier, the sitting around wishing things were different that makes you happy, but it's actually facing the struggle or facing the challenge head on. And, and that's what gives you that feeling. And I think I was telling you earlier how I am a rock climber and I love to climb mountains and it wouldn't matter what kind of day you're having. You could go out and you could make it to the top or not make it to the top. You could fall down and take a crazy whipper and bash yourself on the rock you could only get, you know, three, three, uh, 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 anyway, just a little bit up the mountain. It didn't matter. By the time you left the end of the day, you felt like you conquered the mountain and you felt elated and it did not matter how far you got. All that mattered is that you went and you met your fears, you face them and you overcome them and you try. And that's what brings happiness. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, you know, I think one of the the um, you know biggest mistakes that I I see um, a lot of parents make, and uh, I think just people in general in, in our society, is that we try to prevent people from struggling because we think it's helping, and it's it's the opposite. Like preventing someone from from a, like a, preventing someone from having to experience a struggle, and helping them learn that. They can they can work through that struggle. It, I think, it like decapitates people at the knees. Like allowing people to experience struggle and being there to support them is that's how we empower people. That's how we empower ourselves to to know that it's not about avoiding discomfort, right? It's about leaning into discomfort, knowing that we can we can do this. You know, I, I'm generally a pretty happy person myself. I mean, I, I go through, you know, I'll, I'll have periods where I feel kind of a funk and it's usually because I'm not, I'm either working too much or it's seasonal stuff. Um, but I have found that the more I sort of push myself in a balanced way, the more that I, you know, set sort of audacious, kind of crazy sort of anxiety provoking goals, the happier I actually am. I, I agree. I could not agree more. 
And actually, maybe this is another thing about traveling. My, uh, my very first trip out of Canada, my very first trip alone, I went to India when I was 20 by myself for two months with no plans, with a return ticket home. And wow. um, <laughs> yeah, and when I landed there, you know, your first thought is, holy shit, what did I do to myself? Like, I did not think this through. I bought my ticket two weeks ago. What the hell was I thinking? You know, but um, something about getting up every day and going into the unknown and facing it with a smile and just taking it in for what it is and just pushing through the fear and realizing that on the other side of that fear is acceptance and love. It's just one of the most incredible realizations you can have in your life. And the great thing about traveling for me too, is because I am dyslexic and I struggle with verbal and written communication. If you go to another country where other people don't speak the same language as you, you're not expected to read and you're not expected to talk. You're expected to meet on this human to human level and communicate through your energy and through your expression and through your compassion. And that becomes the language. I love that. That, that sounds appealing. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, I think that's where I started smiling nonstop. It's getting up and just like head up high, shoulders high, and just walking through, just taking it in. That's awesome. So this past fall, uh, you joined uh, one of the, the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Groups. Um, why did you join? I, Since I was diagnosed, I've been on this journey to sort of try and help myself. You know, I think I was listening to one of your podcasts a couple of weeks ago where she said, one of your guests said, it's not my fault, but I'm still responsible for it. Yeah. Yeah. And listening to Dr. Ed Hallowell, it's the same, you know, like, I mean, it's fine for me to say that I'm so distracted that I'm going to forget to clean my house, but I need to hire a maid. Like, I'm still responsible for my house to be clean. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I need to do it, but I need an external structure to make that happen. Right. I mean, that's, that's what, uh, I think uh, healthy, emotional, emotionally mature acceptance looks like. It's I accept what I'm bad at, but I haven't just thrown my hands up in the air. I've found other ways of still meeting my responsibilities. Exactly. And that's what your ADHD rewired coaching and accountability group became for me because I, I listened to your podcast and I've listened to your podcast for over a year and it has really helped me in a lot of ways, but what I wanted was to bring that sort of insight you're bringing to your guests and that sort of insight you're bringing to other people into my life and giving me practical solutions that'll work for me because we're all so different and I can't really form a habit just by listening to something or by watching something. I need accountability. And I think we all do. And your class provides both the, the structure and the accountability. It gives you both frameworks and it's long enough that it actually creates habits in you that so far, fingers crossed, have continued on. And I really hope do continue in my life because I, there's things I've never done before, like make a list of, of what I need to do during the day or plan out my week or, or even, you know, plan out my year or my, my priorities. Like these are things that I've never had any focus on. And if you don't have any focus, how can you prioritize? 
And if you never prioritize anything, then where are you going to end up? Right. You tend to prioritize based on what's exciting at the moment. It's it's prioritizing by shiny object. Oh, exactly. Or fire or fire. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. One or the other. I guess that's but shiny. Both are shiny. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. When, when you joined the group, what was what was your work sort of life like? Tell, tell me about that, because I know you I know you went through a kind of a, a transformation oh. and made some big changes. Oh, my God. So I think me, as most of us with ADHD, when we have a million things on our plate that we, and we're already overwhelmed, we always say, oh, yes, one more. Give me one more. Can I just get this a bigger plate, please? <laughs> yeah. Well, just make it three, four high. Like, that'll be fine. Um, so I was right in the middle of my wedding season. I was actually in the busiest month of my wedding season when we started in September. So I shot 42 weddings this year. Um, so those weddings all were between May and October. And I also had to do all the posts in that time. So I think we started our ADHD wired group the 12th of September. So that was kind of the peak of my craziness. So not only was I shooting four or five days a week, but then I was editing seven days a week and editing till like three, 4 AM every single day. And I was a nightmare. So I don't know why I figured well, I knew that I needed help and I knew that this wasn't working. This is kind of like when I got diagnosed with ADHD in the first place, like I'm banging my head against the wall and things are just not working. So I knew that I needed help and I needed structure. And I thought that you could help me. And even though I didn't have time, I just decided to do it anyway. And it was, it was one of the best decisions I've made. So what were some of the things that uh, you found to be most helpful? Cause when you, now when you first started, um, you were also, weren't you also working for somebody? Yeah. So I was a contractor um, for another photographer here in town who is amazing and great. And, uh, and of course, I appreciate everything I've learned from them. But um, I was doing all of their post-production and assisting with them when I didn't have work and working everything through them. So I ended up having about twice the amount of editing to do and still only having the same amount of time to do it or last time to do it. And, uh, and it was a really, really bad situation for me. Like self-care went out the window, sleeping went out the window, eating went out the window, showering went out the window. And <laughs> I was just really relieved this was on a video conference uh, and, and smell-o-vision didn't, you know, wasn't around yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i think week two or week three maybe maybe it was monday of week two i think i spent the entire hour of the class just crying because i hadn't slept all night because i'd worked three weddings all weekend and stayed up till 7 a.m editing and then we had class at nine and you're like oh let's plan on our week what do you need to do and i looked at what i needed to do and you said Who, who's being overly optimistic and I just put up my hand and burst into tears because I knew that it was, it was impossible for me to complete what I needed to complete. It's not humanly possible. So that was one domino falling over. What was, <laughs> what was the next? Um, I think the next one really was realizing that my self-worth isn't based on my income and, and being able to not let the fear of not being able to make enough money stop me from taking care of myself you know like I always I always have this issue where if I'm not fully paying for everything and somebody has to pay for me or help me out with something then I'm not pulling my weight and I'm not doing enough and I'm not doing well enough and if I left that you know 
in some ways hellish, but steady job that was giving me in some ways a steady paycheck. And I just went fully on my own. And what happens if nobody calls in December or January? Do you think some of that fear could have, uh, could be based on the experiences you had as a teenager when you were kicked out of your home? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Because you really did experience, I'm sure, like, you know, having to really just uh, barely make it, right? Yeah, it was like, I mean, all the way down to I was homeless and in a shelter for a few months. And like, I mean, I don't want to do that. And I don't want to ask people for money either. I don't feel like people owe me. I feel like I should be able to take care of myself. Mm. You know? So, <laughs> so you then made... Um, a, we were talking about sort of prioritization. And I think when we're part of our mind mapping exercise, we're talking about um, deferment and then elimination. And um, there was a discussion about eliminating the, 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 the paycheck and going yeah. and diving uh, completely into your own business. And, and I did actually make that leap with, uh, with support from all of you and support with my family. And it, it's just been a great decision. Um, once I let go of the fear and then I could open myself up to the possibility and the opportunity and kind of the exciting notion of doing it on my own. <laughs> I've been a photographer for so long. I've worked with so many people. Like there was no reason for me to have that fear. That fear was completely irrational. Most fears are. Like, oh, yeah, there's normally, unless you're like falling off a cliff or something, it's or an irrational. by a bear, right? It's yeah, you, the, know. The, you know, the acronym of uh, fear, false evidence appearing real. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and I was just so afraid of that. But like I said, being in the group and having the support of all of you and the support of my accountability partner and making my mind map and setting up my priorities and realizing, and I think you said to me, this to me very early on, that nothing is worth sacrificing your own self-care. And I think I wrote you off. I was like, you know what, Eric, you don't, you don't get it. You, you wouldn't be the first like, person who's written me off when I've said that. <laughs> I know uh, You're I, right. J Jessica Stillwell, who's uh, who has been on the show before and is in a past uh, group member who uh, set up a scholarship so people can go through uh, uh, this group. You know, that was her same story. It's like when I was talking about, you know, she's she's talking about how she just needs to get to inbox zero and get through her work tickets. And I'm like, then go to sleep and don't wake up at 3 a.m. to try to get ahead. And she, you know, she didn't like that so much in the beginning. And, and she finally sort of gave into it and she got it. And it's, it's such an amazing thing when you see it happen. And it's, it's so cool for me to be able to see this happen so often in like, all of my groups where this happens. Oh, it's life changing. It's life changing. Yeah, I'm a completely different person now than I was in September. I hated myself in September. I'm like... Wow. So... What do you think has really changed that? I mean, so you're, you're, I know you said that you're planning now. You're planning your, your day and your week. And I'm not so afraid anymore. Like, I mean, I'm sure that I'll always have moments of fear, but I feel like before, and I think I was saying to this before, like all the ideas that you have and all the priorities that you have and all the things that you want and all the parts of all the things that you want just float around in your head. And it's just this big, crazy brew of ideas and only whatever is at the forefront is what you think about. Once we started doing our mind mapping and some of our other exercises, 
we actually got to lay those things out in a way that made sense. And we get to connect the dots and we get to connect the ideas. And, and once we have them out of our head and external, then we can prioritize them and then we can deal with them in an appropriate way. And having that, it's almost like having a power, having that power, having that control, having that volition to decide what's important to me and, and choose to spend your time doing that because you're not just on some little tangent here and some little tangent there, but you have an overarching direction and means that you can do so many more things. It means you're able to set a course and follow it and you can break it down step by step rather than just being flitting all over like a butterfly and going nowhere, you know? So when you're a butterfly, everything's scary. You don't know what's coming, but but once you have a plan, then you can, you can choose to deal with things. So right now, do you plan, uh, do you spend time planning every day now? I do actually. I plan out my day every day or the night before. And even if I don't, go through and check everything off every day, at least I can go back um, and look at the last day or look at the week before and see what did I miss? What needs to be done? What things need to be followed up with? And that is a huge benefit. Cause like I said before, I was only ever, only ever putting out fires and only ever showing up to meetings once I'm late and only ever responding to emails like five days later because I had no order to anything and I had no way to record anything and everything was just floating around. <laughs> so um, one of the, the, when during your wedding season, you had, uh, um, had said that like, you, I mean, you were working crazy hours, right? You had often multiple weddings a weekend. Um, oh, yeah. And then each wedding has a gazillion pictures that you got to go through and, and edit. Um, so sort of a um, semi-tangential question first. For someone like myself or our listeners who take a gazillion pictures and then don't know how to, like, how to choose a picture to like, upload to share with family, do you have any tips for that? Um, I would open them all probably in Finder and open thumbnails and make them maybe an inch or two so you can see what's in the picture, but you can't really see what's in the picture and look at them all or like, look at your screen full and whatever draws you just pick those ones. And then if those are to focus, pick the one next to it when you go back through them, <laughs> but don't look at them all one by one by one by one. Yeah. Look at the big picture and decide what is drawing you to that. So whether it's the emotion or the color or the composition, but you don't need to have any of those words. You just need to know what draws you. Okay. And go with that and go with story. My uh, my parents and uh, other family members are, are often giving me a hard time about, like, when are you going to upload pictures of Shutterfly <laughs> ever again? Like, that was great. In my, oh, my, the, the, my, my son's first year of life. I was, I was so, I got a nice camera, you know, I was, I was like learning photography and every time I pick up the camera, I'm like, how do I use this thing again? Um, and cause it was, it was like information oh. overload and I couldn't decide, like I had so many pictures that were so similar. So I don't know if there is a website that does this, but I think there'd be a great to, to I would like to be able to sort of, um, crowdsource the decisions about photos. Oh, I love that. I wish I could crowdsource that. <laughs> Even just for my portfolio, that would be amazing. But I find with culling, like with selecting, just make them small and just whatever instantly draws you and just don't second guess that and just pick a few. 
like five. And, and I guess when you have possible. to, when you have a queue of thousands, it's sort of, you have this urgency of, I have to get through this. Yes. Yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> Any, <laughs> Which um, helps. <laughs> so we're going to move here in just a second to the, the hot seat. Um, any final thoughts that you want to share about uh, your experience in the, in the coaching group? I think if you're thinking about joining the group, if you listen to the podcast and you think a lot of these things have helped me, that just make the leap. Like, don't even think about it. Just do it impulsively. <laughs> just join, just join the group because <laughs> it will give you strategies and it, it will help you prioritize your life in a way that just listening can't and just knowing that these things are possible doesn't mean that you're going to implement them in your life. But with the accountability group and with the guidance from Eric and Nisha, you will make changes and it will have a huge impact on you and it will be a positive thing. So just do it. Don't be afraid. Don't second guess yourself. Just make the decision. It's a tiny thumbnail. Just click it. And, and, <laughs> and, and on the, the impulsivity piece, I am the, I'm the, uh, the um, safeguard from impulsive decisions. So you have to actually, <laughs> you got to get through me to get in the You got to get through Eric. He's right. the gatekeeper. So, so sure, <laughs> yeah. impulsively sign up for that screening call, but we'll we'll discuss together um, if it's the right uh, decision for you at this time. Because um, it is, it's not for everybody. Um, no. But I do find the best decisions I've ever made though have all been impulsive. Hmm. I know I need something, I do it. If I spend too much time thinking about it, I won't do it. <laughs> so, well, so I think there's a there's a balance there, though, with going with a gut instinct and what feels right. Um, no, it's it's it, there's a. I'm always interested in people who are really good at at making decisions um, and sort of how they come to that because I definitely uh, I often struggle with overthinking things. Um, like if there's a way to overthink it or overcomplicate it, I can do it. Oh, for sure. That's why the short period impulsive decision is a positive thing because you know it's good for you and you do it. Or you know it's going to be hard, but you face it. Whereas if I would have spent, you know, six months thinking, what well, should I go to India? Should I not go to India? The thought of I've never left Canada before would have definitely crossed my mind and I wouldn't have done it. I know for me, if they say <laughs> if it's something that I'm thinking about doing that um, that I didn't do, but then like that thought keeps coming back. That to me is a cue that, all right, it's time to move forward. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of moving forward, let's, uh, I want to invite you to sit in the hot seat. Are you ready? I am ready. I always feel like, you know, like the, 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 the sound effect from, uh, what was it, that show? Uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Is that the do-do-do-do? No, that's Jeopardy. No, that's Jeopardy. <laughs> Yeah, and the lights get oh. real like low. Right? Like, I, I always when like imagine in my head that. like that's that's what should be happening at this moment when uh, when I say it's step into the hot seat. But it's really like one of those really awesome like massage chairs that you get to go into when you go to like Brookstone um, at the mall that are like you, that chair that's like ten thousand dollars. You know of intention on buying at all, but you're gonna sit in there for at least half an hour. Oh yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> And that hurts too, but it is good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, I know there, there's, there's uh, two things. One was just a quick accountability piece that, that uh, you wanted to just use the power of being on the podcast as a, uh, uh, a mechanism for some accountability. And it has to do with your website. So, so what is that? 
That's correct. So I am actually going to a magazine launch party next week. And even though I have been um, on my own, I stopped being a contractor. I'm doing my own thing for over a month now. I still don't have a working website. So I need to be able to network next week. So my goal is to have a small portfolio. You know, perfectionism is the end of done. It doesn't need to be perfect. The writing doesn't need to be perfect. But I have to have something on there. So when I hand out my business card that has my uh, website on it, and maybe for all of you, if you want to look at my website when this airs, because it's nothing is there now. But if you go to my website, if this accountability thing works, hopefully it will be live and there will be a portfolio there. So now I'll be accountable to all of you as well. So the way we're going to do this, because right, we are recording this on uh, December 9th. And um, so this episode is going to come out not, uh, not this coming Tuesday, um, which would be the 13th. But this will come out, I believe, December twentieth. So what? And you need to have the the uh, website up on the thirteenth. So what That's we're gonna, so what we're gonna do is I'm gonna have you uh, send me a a message. You can record a quick message, and I'll talk to you after about how to do that. Um, so we can include at the end of this episode that you listen to now, um, whether or not you got that done. All right. Pressure is on. I'm on the hot seat. That is, that is a okay. legit term. Okay. <laughs> now you have an, an actual uh, um, a challenge that you want to also discuss. And I think this is one that a lot of people struggle with. And I think um, when, and I actually talk about this in, in my uh, presentation and the webinar that I'm giving the, uh, the productivity solutions for the timeline, where the most powerful word in all of um, of all of productivity and time management. It's a little small two letter word. No, could not agree with you more. And that and is the challenge that you want some help with. Exactly. So this is something that I have always struggled with. I don't know why I can't say no to people. I can never say no to people. And even though I am totally overwhelmed with what I'm doing, even if I don't have enough time to complete my own tasks and my own self-care and things I've already committed to, I will constantly take on more things if people ask me to. And I don't know why I do that. I don't know why I feel like I need to do this for this person always. So let me ask you this. In the moment, are you internally sort of battling the I know I shouldn't say yes, I'm overcommitting, but then you do because you're feeling bad or is it more of an impulsive, uh, you just immediately say yes? I just immediately say yes. And I just feel like if I know how to do something, like and it happens to me all the time with photos, like, or with printing, because I have a big printer, you know, people call me, oh, I don't have time to get this done. Can you help me with this? I know you have this thing. Can you quickly retouch this for me? And in my mind, I'm like, oh, that'll take five seconds. Of course I'll do that for you. No problem. All I need is just email it to me. I'll just print it out. It's no big deal. You know, three hours later, I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Like, I haven't even finished my own work yet. And, I was, and I've devoted all of this time to this thing that probably doesn't even matter. And then I get angry almost because they don't even care. You spend all the time doing all this thing. And you're like, oh my God, I got it done. You have no idea what I've been through. And they're like, oh, whatever, I'm over it. I ordered it from somewhere else. And you're like, what? 
what? This thing wasn't even important to you? Like, Okay, so a couple things. One is, are there certain people that tend to ask you in a predictable way for things um, that, uh, that you have a relationship with that you can have a discussion about this tendency that you have? Yeah, that's probably true. It's a lot of family and friends. Okay. So for family and friends, I think having a conversation with, with these people and saying to them, you know, I, I love our relationship. I love being able to help you. It brings me joy, except for when I've overcommitted and now you just ask me to do something and I have zero time to actually do it. And I, and I've already said yes. And now I don't want to backpedal. Um, and then say, you know, I, I'm struggling with saying no. Like it's something that I'm really struggling with and I need your help with this. So maybe thinking of, uh, and maybe each person you have to sort of negotiate that slightly differently depending on, on the relationship um, from everything from, you know, if I say yes, will you allow me, like if I realize in the, like an hour after I said yes, that probably wasn't a good decision. Will you let me just come to you without like feeling really bad about it? Um, so maybe even saying, if you ask me to do something, will you like maybe require me to give a, a, if I say yes, to then confirm it again in an hour, you know, something I love like that. that. I love that. I think that is just the best. And, and for some, you know, maybe for uh, some people too, having them ask you, are you sure you have time to do this? Or have you checked your calendar? Yeah, that is so helpful. And that is exactly what I said to you earlier about, you know, we, we get in arguments and we say these impulsive things, but we don't mean it and we don't need to own it, mm-hmm. that it's okay to take it back. You know, maybe it's the same with this and that, you know, I want to help people. And of course I think, yes, I'll do this for you. But if I could confirm with them or follow up with them after a short period of time, and I can actually step back and think about it and step back and look at my book and say, well, actually I have a hundred things on today. It's going to have to wait till next week. That that would be great because right now I just, I start to feel so guilty because I I'll commit. And then I feel like, well, I said I've done this thing. And I think that's why I get upset when it doesn't even matter to them anyway. They just like offhand ask me, I'm like, oh, I killed myself for this. Like, Right, right. So I think, you know, one thing too is also like being really, really clear about what like the, your, your one thing is, whether it's for the day or for the week or for the month, and then sort of putting all of these things that come up through that filter, like, is this in alignment with the thing that you're trying to to get done? Is this in alignment with your, what's most important to you? Right. Um, It's also okay to say no. Like, I know that it, like I think intellectually we all know that right but like it's it's amazing when we ask people how do they feel when they, we said no to them like the only person that thinks it's a big deal is us who said no I know it's so crazy because uh we put all of this on ourselves and we always assume that it matters to other people mm-hmm. as much as it matters to us and that's not always the case when you've tried to say no, do you are you the type of person that tends to over-explain why? Oh my gosh. And, and then yeah, you, and I then feel you'll, so guilty. And, and then you'll end up saying, <laughs> you know, I could probably find room to do it. 
Yeah, actually, you know what? I can do it. It's okay. Like, don't, I'll work it out always, every time, or like quitting or like ending anything. Like, I don't know what it is if I'm like just super loyal or I just feel like I have this responsibility to this person or this job or this thing and I just can't let it go. And that's me. I know that's me. And it's yeah. not that it's me. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I think I struggle with that a little bit too. Um, one strategy that I use, because I, uh, def- I, I think really over the last year, I've gotten, I made some real profound progress on saying no and really um, limiting my scope to, to what I'm doing. And one thing I'll tell you is that it gets easier. It really does get easier when you realize no one really cares. Like you, yeah. you have this fear of like you're everyone's gonna be disappointed. It's like no, no one really cares. Like people know you're busy. Like it, it's it's okay. You were not put on this planet to serve that person who made that request like exclusively. Like nobody has that expectation. And if they did, you wouldn't want that person in your life anyways. Yeah. Right. So for me, one of the things that I have sort of done by default is I don't like by default I'll either say no by default. And then check my calendar and then see, because, you know, if you say no by default, but it's something that you maybe could do or want to do, if you call that person back in 20 minutes and say, you know what, I, I just realized that I actually could do this for you. That's not going to be a problem. Like now you just made that person's day. Right. And then they don't take you for granted either. Right. Then they know you're going out of your way for them. And yes. And not that, like, I mean, that's a game you're trying to play, but we are really busy. And if we are going to go that extra mile, it's nice to have them recognize that, you know, so they don't keep putting you out there because they know what the situation is. How many emails do you get requesting things? Oh, tons. Okay. So, um, oh, here's a strategy that's going to save you a ton of time. Okay. Um, So, you know, are you familiar with what a canned response is? Yes, but I still have not set this up and I really need to. <laughs> okay. So here, here start with a, a template. Just do a Google search for how to say no in an email. Ah. Uh, okay. That's so exciting, actually. <laughs> right. Then um, find uh, find a few sort of examples or variations that you like. Right. Save them to I me. Mean, you can do it in a Word document or do you use um, uh, Gmail? Yes. So in Gmail, in the settings, there's uh, Gmail Labs. There's a little um, uh, uh, lab tool that you can turn on um, called canned responses. And you can actually save uh, some of these canned responses in Gmail. So it's it will create a little arrow button at the, ver- the bottom right corner of your Gmail screen. Um, and then you can select from the, the various canned responses. Oh, that's so exciting. Or you can use a tool like Text Expander, which is one of my favorite pieces of technology, and create template things. So you could say, um, you know, uh, thank you so much for, uh, you know, thinking about me for the request, comma, unfortunately, uh, I can't because. And then think about five different becauses. And in Text Expander, you can actually create a drop-down menu where you can just select one of those. So think. So basically, it allows you to create these awesome templates that are super customizable, right? And if you're responding to an email that you realize doesn't fit quite that one, 
They would then edit it in Text Expander. So it's this is the idea of creating systems within the context that you're working. Right? That, yeah, that's, exactly. That's how we create systems. Now, we'll save us time later. Yes. Right? Yes. It's one of my favorite you know, things to, yeah, to say. Yeah. Got that from you, Eric. <laughs> so, you know, so you want to sort of think about how do I want to make those decisions outside of being put on the spot? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I love that. Okay. And that's also the idea of like diffused responsibility or whatever too, right? It's just like a button. It's yes. not like I have to like say the words to break your heart. It's like, oh, this is just a response. So it's okay. Yes. The, <laughs> and the other thing, um, you know, whenever you can, if you know somebody else that might be able to solve that person's problem, um, sort of have that information at the ready. And that can be included right. in your your canned responses or your the the text expander snippets that you that you create. Um, and so that also helps you with knowing who the referral people are, people are, which will then probably come back to you. Cause if you're referring people, uh, to, to other people, they'll probably send it back when they, when they get too busy. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you don't have to look their information up every time. We just have it ready to go. Oh, that's such great news. I will do that for sure. That's going to be a huge help. And that's been on my list since the class, but. Okay. So what's yeah. the first step for you to get started on that? Um, it is probably to download Text Expander. Okay, so it is a subscription-based uh, service. It's a monthly uh, subscription. Um, it lives in the cloud. Um, it is totally, totally worth it. Um, I would encourage you to um, uh, start small uh, on Text Expander because you can get really complicated and sophisticated stuff. Um, some of my favorites that I use daily. Because um, basically what Text Expander is, is it allows you to take a short amount of text, say three or four characters that you create, um, and expand it into a large amount of text. Um, but the one that I use most often um, on uh, multiple times a day is uh, the, I created the, the command D date. So whenever I write date, but with the extra D, because you don't want to accidentally trigger it, yeah, it will expand to whatever the date is. And I have a similar one for tea time. It, it will oh. it pulls from your computer systems and it knows exactly what time it is. Oh, that's cool. D-date, tea time. Right, I so, never even knew that was a thing. Right, so, that, so that's something that you create. So you create the snippet, so that the, um, the um, shortcuts. So whatever makes sense to you, do it. And I would, while you're, you're learning them, I would start with, something that's solving one specific problem. Like don't try to use this and apply this everywhere because you'll get totally overwhelmed or confused and you won't remember anything, right? So when you're starting using uh, a tool like Text Expander, which requires you to remember those shortcut keys, although you can, you can if you have it open, because um, it runs in the background. Right. Um, you can look at the, the commands, but the idea is to save time, right? So you don't want to have to look it up and open it every time. A little, a little note card and just put it by your computer screen and start with a few. And I, because I probably have a couple dozen uh, that, that I use, but I started with four and they were all for Facebook. And they were, um, it was a way that I processed um, uh, member requests for the Facebook community. And my responses were FB1 for, here's the first thing I say when someone uh, um, requests <laughs> FB2, my, my response to what they say, FB3. It, so it was like in my head, it was all logical. FB obviously is Facebook, right? And yeah. then the sequence of, and then like I had FB0, so if I didn't get a respond from, response from them. Um, you know, so I had a bunch of different things that sort of made sense to me, right? 
Right. Oh, that's so smart. Oh, I'm so excited to do it because I always have inquiries for work coming in all the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I'm constantly spending so much time writing basically the exact same email over and over and over again. And I struggle so much with writing. It could take me like half hour to write like three sentence email or four or five sentence email. And it's Amy Mill. I've sent to like a hundred people already. Yeah, the, the problem is real. And this that, that's why when I discovered this tool, I was like, this is amazing because I I realized I was doing the exact same thing. I, you know, get I get four or five different types of emails from people. One is uh, something about the podcast, either it's just a listener's letting me know that hey, I really appreciate it. They maybe they tell me their story, blah, blah, blah. And I wanna acknowledge people that st- take the time to, you know, it's like I have like in, in Three seconds, I have like paragraphs of thoughts that just went through my head, but like I can't get it out. And so it's, you know, and the feeling of just being like, I used to send a quick response, like, thanks for the email. You know, it's like, so if you ever got a quick one for me, just know there's a lot more behind that than just the, uh, the, oh, the I've done that before too, where you write so many things and then you just delete all of them and it ends up being yeah. literally like that. Thanks for the email. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Yes. Yeah. Or, or, or the other is on like Facebook where you like, uh, you're writing a comment and then you rewrite it and you rewrite it and you spend 20 minutes doing it and then you just hit like. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. So, yes. The struggle is real. <laughs> so if you ever see that I just liked a comment and didn't really comment on it, no, there was probably some time where I struggled with writing something and there was a lot of really good attempts there. So there was a lot of the time and, 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 and heart that oh. went into that like. So yeah. Yeah. Writing's so funny. I always told my daughter that I've had to learn to decode everything. Cause I can never use the words I want to use. Cause I can never figure out how to spell them or how to write them or how the sentence structure should be. So I'm constantly switching them out for other things. So I'm just decoding, well, this is what I mean, but how other ways can I say this? How many other ways can I write this? And what's like a simplified version of the same oh, thing that I, I'm trying to say. Expander can do that too though. Cause you can actually, so if there's certain words that you know, you always spell wrong. Yeah. You can actually put that word in text expander and then that's the thing that triggers the correction of the word that's so smart oh i'm so excited to go home and learn text expander so yeah so yeah i will do text expander and i will have something on my website for you to see okay so i you know so as far as first steps so you said you're going to download a text expander i would also include the time to watch some videos on text mm-hmm. expander. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I can't. I have to watch the videos always. I love the new age of video we're in. It's the best. It's amazing. <laughs> like if whenever I have to build something and like there's instructions on it, the first thing I do is go on YouTube because it will take. Like I could watch a video once or twice, and I'm like, I, I can do this now. Like I will have to reread instructions like 50 times and I have to read it after each step. Like I, yeah. Line by line, line and by do line. that one little thing. Yeah. Ugh. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> yes. So, all right, let's, um, let's wrap this up here. So you're going to uh, send me a, an update um, on Tuesday uh, about um, your website. And do you think by Tuesday you would also have uh, given text expander? Do you, do you have? I'm going to give you a moment to think about this. Do you have? I'm going to say probably not. Good for you. 
Because you look, I'm getting better. I'm getting better already, Eric. <laughs> There's a little bit of a wincing in there, I think, too. You're like, no, I, I, no, I, no, I don't. But I really want to say yes, but no. No. That's how it starts. It'll get easier. It does. It really does get easier. Oh, what? That's exciting. Okay, so the you know the the accountability on that one can be so. Give yourself a date. What what date do you want to? Um, I would say give yourself one to two hours, probably broken up over a couple days. Yeah, let's say the Thursday because I have to have my website done for Tuesday evening, and I'm networking all day Tuesday. Okay. So then, if Wednesday, I can devote a couple hours to the text expander and then follow up with you Thursday. That would be excellent. So Thursday. Okay. So I'll have you, uh, we'll, we'll get that scheduled just so I can anticipate it um, for, for next week. And um, yeah, let people know too. I want people to know where they can check out your website because by the time they hear it, it's going to be up, right? That's right. That's right. The power of accountability. You're all going to help me with this. So my website's just my name. It's uh, Leah Russell, which is spelled word L-E-Y-A. R-U-S-S-E-L-L.com. Well, yeah, thank you so much. It's, uh, this was a lot of fun. And um, we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. <laughs> Take care. My name is Stephen Tanti. I have ADHD. I am a writer, director, and public speaker based in Los Angeles, California now. And I was a part of Eric Tiver's ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group. And a message for those considering joining, I have not been a part of a support group or support network, anything like Eric's ADHD coaching group in my 25 years on the planet. And after being a part of Eric's group, it is a mission of mine to not only facilitate groups like it, but also be a part of a group whenever I can, for as long as I can. One of the strongest impressions that I got from the group was my first impression. I was sort of reluctant at the beginning to join the group at all because of this preconceived notion that I was working it out and, and had done a pretty good job of figuring it out myself. So when the first session rolled around, it was a, I think it was a Monday, I, I you know did this kind of arguably arrogant thing where I, I was going to take the session on the road. Like I had taken a train to Brooklyn and had scheduled a meeting right at the end of the session. So I was like, I've got an hour for the session. I'm going to be at this dude's house in Brooklyn when the session ends. And I'm on my phone walking through Brooklyn on, you know, on Zoom. And within the first 15 minutes of the first session, just the introductions. We were spending, we spent the first 30 minutes introducing the 11 or 12 of us. And by the fourth person, I was pretty damn near tears, which I did not expect at all. You can't really plan for that sort of thing. And the reason was, it was so, it was extremely clear. There's no confusion as to why I was feeling that way. It dawned on me like a tidal wave, it crashed like a tidal wave that I was in this very special group of people from all walks of life, varying ages, all sharing one very key specific quality, which is ADHD. And we all come at it from different angles and different places, but sharing that with 12 people is such a, it's, it's very intangible and hard to quantify, but extremely important. 
and it, and it, it, it crashed on me like in you know it just hit me like a like a freight train all of a sudden and I was like I, I think the thought was oh my god I get this I get it I get I get it this is gonna be this is gonna be really important I didn't realize it's gonna be important but I can t- I can tell now this is gonna be important that continued throughout the 10 weeks and the way it manifested in the group was that the group was is this place where I was able to speak vulnerably and honestly to a group of people who go through pretty much the exact same struggles and obstacles and receive constant feedback about your thought process, planning, mindfulness, productivity, and real helpful tips. Hey, here's what I did to to figure exactly that out. Oh yeah, I had that same problem. There were two other artists in the group, a photographer and an opera singer, and I had brought up an issue or two where the photographer said, yeah, I know exactly what you like for motivation, like getting started to do something. And she said, yeah, I totally get it. Like here's, here's this physical location that I go to now that makes, that helps me get started. It helps because it's not one expert, like a therapist or a psychologist or a mentor giving you, asking the right questions and giving you guidance. It's a panel of 11 people who all have the same disorder tossing in their ideas and it happens to be a very creative forward disorder right so it's like 11 people who have a thousand ideas so it's 11 times a thousand ideas and uh, we have this thing called the hot seat which is an hour where two people get half an hour for the hour to sit in the hot seat they take five minutes at the beginning of their half hour to pose a problem an obstacle and for that half hour other group members just spitball ideas have you thought of this have you tried this i tried this once this helped me once i think you're feeling this way because there's something invaluable about the freedom to give like pure advice like there's no there was no guard there wasn't like there wasn't really a system of rules probably outside of like being mean <laughs> like saying something mean or, or hyperly critical it was truly like have you tried this have you thought of this oh my god that's a great idea oh i've tried this this worked for me money can't buy that kind of <laughs> that kind of help from from such a, a great select group of people This has been Eric Tivers, and I want to thank you for listening, and congratulations for making it to the end. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. The website is ADHDrewired.com. You can find summaries and additional resources for each episode, learn more about the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group, and more. It's all at ADHDrewired.com. Don't just be a passive listener. Be an active member of the community. Submit your request to join our free and growing community on Facebook. Watch for a message from me on Facebook because I screen everyone before they come in the group. Podcasts do change lives. You can make a difference in someone's life by spreading the word about this podcast. Share it online or share it with a friend. If you're a member of Chad or any other ADHD support group, let people know about this show. And if you really loved this episode, please hit share on your podcast player. One of the biggest things you can do to support this podcast and help other people discover it is to leave an honest rating and a review on iTunes or Stitcher. 
If you can't figure out how to do it, message me on Facebook or through my website, and I'll be happy to walk you through it. Looking for more ways to listen and learn? Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at Audible by using my affiliate link at audibletrial.com slash ADHD Rewired. Not sure where to start? Start with Brene Brown's The Gift of Imperfections or her six-hour recorded workshop, The Power of Vulnerability. This is Eric Tivers reminding you that when you spend time to plan, you will save time that you could spend later. Until next time.